Well, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe. And this is Season 6, Episode 8 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, slated to come out on May 15th, 2023. And we're just going to get right into it. We're going to be talking about the Dirty Bull Painkiller. Um, Ricky has the the glass, and he's been sipping on it a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm going to let him tell us what the ABV is and everything like that. But it is from uh, a local brewery here in North Carolina. Yeah, so this is described as a hard seltzer smoothie with pineapple, orange, coconut cream, and nutmeg. ABV 7%. See, I'm gonna go through the ingredients. Nothing crazy. Alcohol, cane sugar, pineapple, puree, filtered water, orange puree, coconut cream, and ground nutmeg. Yeah. So, you took a sip. Mm-hmm. I've had this before. I know what I think about it. What do so you think about it? Here's the thing. This is the worst painkiller I've ever had. <laughs> but it's not bad. No. It is a good drink. But if you're a big fan of painkillers. It's not really like a seltzer drink. It's not like a fizzy drink like no. that. It is a very creamy drink. Right. This, I will say, nails the flavor profile of like a tropical drink very well. So if you like like tropical cocktails, you're going to do okay there. But what's going to kill this for you, it doesn't have enough like coconut cream in it. Yep. And there's no rum in it. It's just like hard seltzer style alcohol. Yeah. Which I can understand this to an extent that would greatly increase the price. I don't know what these cost. But you know, well, they can't. You can't sell um, liquor in something like this and sell it at the same place that you sell other things. Generally, there are some things you can. There, like uh, Irish cream and vermouth mm-hmm. and things like that, that are fortified wines or have some lower alcohol, like cuts of certain types of grain liquors and things like that that you can get in. But for the most part, because of the way the laws are set up here in North Carolina anyways, you can't sell those. So if they're selling it locally, they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I will say this. I think it is a very good drink. I'm very much enjoying it. I will probably get a couple for the house. I don't think they should be allowed to call it a painkiller because it's not. But I agree with that. <laughs> it's it, mm-hmm. it's an okay drink for me. I don't like how sugary it is. So... Uh, because, you know, me being diabetic and everything, mm-hmm. I always watch those things. This is probably the most sweet drink I have drank all year. Even with all the beers mm-hmm. and everything that I drink, porters, all that stuff, this still has probably a higher gravity as far as that goes yeah. out of all the stuff that I've drank this year. Probably. And I think that's that's also one of the things I don't like as much about it is it is sweeter than you would normally get a painkiller. Right. Because a painkiller is rum, a little bit of pineapple juice, a pretty decent amount of coconut cream, and then some nutmeg. I've seen some people sometimes put in the orange. Right. But it's really more of like it, – it's a creamy drink. It's, it's a lot closer to like a rum chata or a like Irish cream in terms of consistency. Yeah. As opposed to this, which is – I mean, there he kid him now. It's, it's like a seltzer drink. Yeah, this is pretty much like a like a hard soda. Yeah, it's exactly what it's supposed to be, kind of like too. I think it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a hard soda that has some of the flavors of a, you know, whatever. And Cooper evidently agrees with me. I don't know if you can hear him in the background, but he's just going at it talking about this painkiller. Um, so if you can pick them up, it's worth a once try. I think they were like it was a four pack for like ten bucks. I don't know that I would buy it again though. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure I would regularly stock it in the house. But, you know, we are coming up on that season. We're going to start having pool parties. You're going to start yeah. going to lakes and beaches and stuff. And if you're bringing alcohol to those events, I always like to have some sort of Swedish alcohol there for the people that like that stuff. Yeah. That would definitely be a great addition. You know, you throw it in with your light beers, your dark beers, you throw in some of these for the people that don't really like beer. I can see it. Yeah, I, I totally can too. I'm, uh, absolutely. If you like sweeter drinks, this is a this is not bad for being a sweeter drink. It's just not the thing that I would prefer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so that that was what I was saying. Like, not saying that people shouldn't get it, but if you like like Godfathers and dry red Merlots and mm -hmm. things like that, this is probably not the thing for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you like uh, Long Island iced tea this might be the kind of thing for you because the the flavor profile is different, but the sweetness level is about the same. Yeah, maybe. You know, this is where I'll give a little personal story. A Long Island iced tea was the first ever, like, cocktail drink I ordered at, like, a restaurant. I forget where we went. It was, like, a Chili's or an Applebee's, one of those, those type of things when we were still in college. I'm glad you said that something like that level of sweet because I felt like it should have been sweet, but the one I got absolutely was not and I, and a long Island iced tea with no sweetness to it. It's not a fun drink. It, it's not, it's not as good. <laughs> it's definitely not as good. Yeah. I almost swore off of alcohol when that happened. I was like, if this is the good stuff, Oh gosh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another drink that's like a blue lagoon or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, that, that my wife likes to drink and it, um, it, I mean, she hasn't, she doesn't normally get these are fairly alcoholic, yeah. but it's like a slushy drink. And mm -hmm. I mean, again, same sort of like level of sweetness. Yeah. yeah that yeah. drink would not be very good at all. <laughs> if you got oh, it. Oh yeah. Cause all it is is like sugar sour mix and then generally like a vodka or, yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. I think it's rum sour mix. Um, and it's like a blueberry sour mix and then, um, the crushed yeah, ice. syrup and stuff after yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, uh, if you're in North Carolina or you've got these local to you, pick up one if they sell them by the can. You know, it's worth mm -hmm. a couple bucks just to try it. But it, unless you're really into sweet drinks or you're really into seltzers or something like that, probably not the thing for you. And if you are into those things, you should definitely pick up a four pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about these three consoles that we have here. We said we were going to do. A MiU Mini comparison to mm -hmm. the RG35XX and the MiU Mini Plus. Once I got the MiU Mini Plus in, Thursday it came in. I immediately switched out the operating system because we're not ever going to talk about the base operating systems on these three things. I don't like them at all. Mm -hmm. um, and um, put games on it, played it for a few hours, and um, I've got thoughts. I want to hear yours. Yeah. So I really like the Miu Mini Plus. So I think we talked about these on a previous episode. Yeah, right? it was a second episode of the season, I believe. Yeah. So I liked the the RG30, uh, whatever that is, 350. It was the uh, fourth episode of the season. Okay. So four episodes. Yeah, ago. yeah. I know it wasn't too long ago. Yep. Um, I do. I still like the larger form factor of whatever that one was. So it was kind of shaped like a DS, but. I got a Metroid you. Pocket 2 Plus. Yeah, that was I like your so. favorite out, out of those. Yeah, the Mi Mini was like my least favorite because mm -hmm. of the size of it. It's just too small for me. Mm -hmm. But that's what I love about the Mi Mini Plus. 
is it's a bit larger, but it still has that good build quality of the Miu Mini. I, I know like the Miu Mini Plus has some Wi-Fi and some other nice things about it, mm-hmm. but to me, it's just the form factor. It is so much closer in size, or if not the same size as like an original Game Boy. It feels so good. The quality on it, like the build quality is so nice. The buttons feel great, even the ones in the back. I love it. Oh, it's it's about um, a third of the size of an original Game Boy, the Mi Mini Plus. I've got a console that's the size of an OG Game Boy. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I never had an OG Game Boy. The black and white one was actually really you know big. What? That's true. I think my first Game Boy was a Game Boy Color. Yes, so, Cooper. Yeah. I, know you, I know you agree with me. Yeah, so it's about Game Boy Color size. Uh, yeah, it would be. It's it's mm-hmm. a little bit it's a little bit shorter, um, so it's not quite as long. But their form factor is fairly close yeah, yeah. to the same. It doesn't have the cartridge slot and stuff. Like yeah, that. I mean I love it, and, for, and it's <clears throat> such a good upgrade because it still has like the nice screen and the good build quality. But the screen is now so much larger, and like even ignoring the Wi-Fi, I'd buy it just for that. Well, so let's let's touch on the Wi-Fi. One of the things that the RG35XX and the MiU Mini don't have the ability to do is do anything where you get retro achievements or you do over-the-air updates. So anytime that you want to update the operating system on it, so like there's a new version of Onion OS or Garlic OS, you have to download it, take out your SD card, put it in, and then write over some files. And sometimes you have to completely wipe the SD card if it's you know you need to like mm-hmm. re-image it so then you have to back up your sd card and put the games on again so with the wi-fi on this what this allows for is an ota and you can just install it like an app mm-hmm. so you can get an over-the-air update on it just you know don't have to pop out the micro sd card they're even talking about maybe having some sync features where you can do save backups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and those would be the like cloud services like Dropbox or OneDrive or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm totally on board with the Wi-Fi thing. Plus, you get retro achievements. Mm-hmm. So over the air updates and retro achievements and NetPlay. You can do all three of those things. You can't do that here. So if you have yeah. like Game Boy games that you wanted to play and you had two of these where you could play um, like Mario Kart or something on the Game Boy, you can play that here. Yeah, so I have to now ask you about retro achievements. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So using the people, like, I guess they got some sort of wrapper that goes over the game as part of the launcher. That's like... built into RetroArch. Okay. So any re- anytime you have RetroArch or Emulation Station or mm-hmm. anything like that, you can go in, you get a set of credentials on the Retro Achievements um, thing. You can also get the Screen Scraper FR credentials, go back into RetroArch and uh, put in both those credentials, and then you've got your own personalized Retro Achievements set up. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It, it is really mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. it's a, and, and it's things like... Uh, you can do hardcore hardcore mode where you, if you fail once in a save, um, you... Oh, like delete your save? Yeah, it oh, deletes your cool. save. Little Iron Man like, runs, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So you can do all sorts of stuff there. And it's just a setting in, in RetroArch. Mm. Um, and I think you can do it per core. I'm not 100% sure about that. So it may be that you, if you turn on hardcore mode, it's just across the board. Okay. I never turn on hardcore mode. <laughs> Yeah. That's not for me, but I know that's for you. <laughs> well, yeah, it depends on the game. There's yeah. like I love to do little like randomized nuzlocks, which those are kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see something like that. Yeah. So uh, for me, 
I like the MiU Mini Plus the most out of all these mm. because it retains the ability for me to put it in my pocket, Yeah, which is what I use the MiU Mini for. I still love the MiU Mini. It's my second favorite. Mm. And the reason I love it is because it's just as powerful, but it's so small. And I can just drop it in my mm. pocket. It almost fits in my watch pocket sometimes, yeah. <laughs> depending on my jeans. Um, you know, or like one of those like uh, spare pockets you can drop like change or something like that into. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's almost that size. And so I can just do whatever I want to with it. Now, there are some people that prefer the Anbernic, this RG35XX. And I'm not getting rid of it. I do like it because Garlic OS adds a lot of functionality and stuff like that to it. But because the MiU Mini Plus is so much bigger than the MiU Mini, I almost feel like I'm not going to use this the way that I used to use it, the RG35XX. I'm not mm. going to use it. Because what I would do is i just have this sitting on my desk, and if I was at a meeting or something and it got really boring or something like that, and I just needed like a distraction for a few minutes, instead of yeah. picking up my phone, I'd pick this thing up, play like five minutes of a RPG, mm. save it, put it back down. You know, so... The RG35XX served that purpose for me, but now I've got a more pocketable device um, that I can carry around with me and do that with. So why would I go back to the RG35XX? Yeah. Yeah. And and the, the flared buttons on the back, some people like this, some people don't. With the type of games that I play, I hardly mm-hmm. ever use them except for like – if I'm, you know, doing some sort of button combo to fast forward in a game or something like that, and then that's just like one press, it's not a constant thing. Yeah. And the while the buttons aren't more functionally better, they're more hidden on the MiUs. Yeah, and they like they they're a little bit more flush, exactly. Yeah. And they're more satisfying to click. They don't like jiggle around as much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I like those. Some people don't like the MiUs buttons as much. Um, I've never had a problem with them. Yeah, I so, like them a lot. Yeah. So. I, the only thing that I don't like about the MiU Mini Plus versus the MiU Mini is that this one has a up and down instead of mm-hmm. scroll for volume. It's got a plus and minus for the volume button, and I prefer the um, scroll wheel. Okay, okay, yeah, but, you know that's personal preference. I got to admit, I'm the opposite. I kind of like the buttons versus the scroll. Yeah, but you know, again, that that's personal preference. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. And they all have some sort of like on shutdown save mm-hmm. function. They all have that. So ultimately, and the MiU Mini Plus is available. You can't get the MiU Mini anymore. Yeah. Um, so if you can get your hands on a MiU Mini Plus, well, okay. So the Ambernick RG35XX, you can get off Amazon. My original MiU Mini Plus that I bought mm-hmm. hasn't arrived yet. I bought this one off Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So both of these are available on Amazon now. They cost about the same amount. Okay. Um, and they ship about the same. So it's, it's inflated from what you would buy on like um, one of the retro handheld stores or mm-hmm. off AliExpress. So you pay like five or ten extra dollars. But the convenience of being able to have it in five days versus get it like a month and a half later after you yeah. order it is nice. Yeah, I can definitely yeah. see that. Yep. So which one of these, you said you prefer the MiU Mini Plus? Yeah, out of these three, it's definitely my favorite. I think I'd still like the well, the, the retrograde. The Retroid Pocket Retroid. 3 Plus was the one that you liked the most. Yeah, I think I still like that a little bit better because I like that form factor. I don't, 
I don't have the use case as much as I'm going to slip it in my pocket and go around and do stuff with it. But that's, I think that's definitely not like a hard second. Yeah. Like if I couldn't get the other one, I had to get that instead. I'd still be totally happy. And they're about, they're about as available. Mm-hmm. So, um, the Retroid pocket three plus though is like twice as much costs gotcha. double the amount as that, but it'll, it'll run Android games and stuff. So it does more. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's talk about Britain denying the Activision, uh, Microsoft merge. Yep. Have you, have you read up on that any? Not a whole lot, but I was already aware it was happening. I did do a little bit of research. I'm very glad to see it happening. Yeah. Because quite frankly, I think America has done a really bad job of blocking mergers the last like decade or two. Yeah. Because you see a lot of companies merging together. And, you know, that all has to get approved. It's right. not like you can just say, hey, I'm going to go acquire this other company and it's a done deal because you have the money. Like, all that has to go through review boards and everything like that. And I don't know. I just feel like a lot of times they miss the ball and they really let a lot of these big companies spread out way more than they should, you know. Because, like, think about it like this. If you look at Microsoft and Activision, it doesn't feel like that's a huge... I'm becoming a monopoly now. Yeah. Now, when you start realizing, well, they've got the whole gaming section of their company, maybe that gets closer. But like, if you go back to the stuff that we were talking about doing to Microsoft in the nineties of like breaking that company up and it was so much smaller into like five or six different pieces, like our modern government just doesn't really push corporations that hard. I've ever told nope. you that story. Uh, I mean, I know about That's- the Microsoft, like, um, you know, monopoly trials and things like that. Yeah. Well, like um, Microsoft was going to, for the, the readers that are li- listeners that don't know, uh, Microsoft was going to get potentially split up in the 90s. Like Ma Bell did. Yeah. And what actually saved them was Microsoft funded Apple. Yeah. The only reason Apple's still around is because. Microsoft realized, oh crap, we have pretty much destroyed all of our competitors or eaten them up. Because um, Microsoft was really bad about if a new technology would come out, they would reverse engineer it. So like yep. the zip programs that exist within Windows are just a reverse engineered uh, like WinZip protocol and things like that. Yeah, well they're, so like, they're the ones that uh, uh, originally came out on open source stuff and they made them they reverse engineered them and then made them proprietary in some ways. And yeah, I don't know if they the were open RAR. source at the time. Yeah, um, they were. They they were open source. You you always could get uh, tars and zips and gun zips and things like that. That's where all that started. Well, yeah, but I'm saying the original people that made zip, yeah, sold it. Yeah, like it was not. Uh, you couldn't get it for free. That was that what their company did. Is their right. company built uh, compression. And then Microsoft got their hands on it and built it into Windows uh, and completely destroyed that market. So then it went open yeah. source, but it wasn't originally. No, it was, it was, ori- so the original like components of that was open source. WinZip took and made some like stuff to it, made mm-hmm. it proprietary. Microsoft bought them, made it even more proprietary. And then there was some open sourcing of some of that later that they had made proprietary. Yeah. Like they originally bought. I mean, they eventually bought WinZip, but I'm saying like originally when com- like compression, when you could be a company and the way you made your uh-huh. money was selling compression formats. Right. 
Like their companies existed that were not open source. That were not open source. You're absolutely Windows correct. Windows took all of their protocols and built them into Windows so that you did not have to go buy those products. I'm, I'm not arguing with you about that. I'm just yeah. saying like the original like stuff that those companies built their stuff off of were like GunZip and stuff like that. They've always been in Unix. They've just existed since like the 60s. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Compressions existed yeah. that were for things other than Windows. Yeah. 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 yeah, so I get what you're saying there. Yeah, I see agree, Cooper agrees too. <laughs> Cooper, you weren't around back then. Millennials talking about this stuff. Um, <laughs> I guess he's Gen Z. This might be this might be the most nerdy conversation we've had while, about yeah. Unix for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but, go ahead and say what. But you're yeah, doing. essentially, you know, Microsoft drove out a lot of competitors to the point that they really just owned the operating system world. Yeah. And then Microsoft, I mean. Steve Jobs went to Bill Gates and said, hey, we're about to become insolvent. And it's like, we're, we're going to have to shut down as a company. And Bill Gates loaned them something like $30 million or something yeah. like that to keep them going because mm. Steve Jobs had the idea of what would eventually become the iPod. Right. And so, like, already, if you look at our track record of blocking mergers – we were bad enough to let like pretty much a complete 100% monopoly monopoly of the like computing space happen. And then we were like, finally going to be like, okay, we're going to break it up. So they had to prop up a competitor so they can make the argument right. for we're not a monopoly. So it's good to see Europe kind of just saying, it's like, eh, that's getting a little too close. Yep. And just stopping it to begin with and not waiting for them to essentially already have the monopoly and then break them up. I, while I agree on all that, and, and if EA, so EA and Activision are not, they're like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. I really don't care anymore. After like hearing all the Bobby Kotick stuff that was happening yeah. in Blizzard, um, seeing all that stuff, I used to really like that company a whole lot before mm -hmm. I found out all that stuff. And now I have a really hard time just like caring yeah. <laughs> about them being subsumed or not. But going back to the, previous conversation we were talking about digital versus physical media activision is one of the worst offenders they of, really are of that sort of junk blizzard not so much they kind of still make their classic games available and stuff like that but activision is just so bad about like their call of duty stuff and all the other things they have and that's really the problem right mm -hmm. because the activision titles that are out there um I mean, you could talk about World of Warcraft, but Blizzard's not doing as well as it used to, you know. Yeah. Um, even with Diab Diablo, it's still not doing as well as it used to. Um, but when you're talking about, like, Activision, Call of Duty, um, the what's the Halo um, in, uh, MMO thing that um, 443 did... Uh, they but they own that too, mm -hmm. the, that um, that um, shooter MMO. I can't remember what the name of it is. I know what it is. It's like it's like in my head um, has the three factions. Um, you get these little like companion cubes that float around with you and um, oh, uh, Destiny. Yeah, uh, yes, Destiny and Destiny Two. You know, mm -hmm. so that, I believe that's an Activision title, and they've got some other like free to play and stuff like that. So if Microsoft was to get that. Even though I don't think that they would, um, like, keep Sony out because, I mean, ultimately, putting that on other consoles mm -hmm. is, like, the same thing as, like, Steam being, like, 
we're not gonna we're not gonna sell our you know we're not gonna let you use Steam OS on any other console. Mm-hmm. It just hurts them from making money, you know. So yeah, the ROG Ally comes out or something like that. Sure, put Steam on there. Let people install our the games that we make money every time they buy one. You're just increasing our footprint. Yeah. So I don't think that that's as much of a worry, but I think other things are a worry. Like, well, Xbox could get the next Destiny or next Call of Duty, you know, for like three months before Sony does. Or they have exclusive DLCs or they kind of lock you into certain things. And I think Cooper's like absolutely agreeing with me on this. Hear <laughs> him in the background. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing: like, if you go look at video games and their relationship with consoles, mm-hmm. the people that made the console always had like they're what they were called first party studios, but they were generally that company. Let me pause this for a second. So you know, yeah, studios always had their like first party publishers, but you didn't know who they were, right? Like, who made Mario, Nintendo? Like, who made, you know, Sonic, Sega? Right. You know, it's the same people that are making the consoles. Whereas now we're starting to see first-party developers be just developers they've gone out and bought. Yeah. Like, Bethesda is now a Microsoft first-party developer. Yeah. Because they bought Bethesda up. And then you're saying, like, okay, Call of Duty is now a Microsoft first-party game. And I do think you're starting to blur those lines of, like, some of these big titles that people still really play you know like call of duty you know there's a subgroup of people that just that's the only games they play are the call of duty games and they love them and so like yeah that becomes a driver for like i'm not buying your console because of the quality of that console i'm buying it because you have bought up all the games i want to play on it yeah uh well and then putting them in the services like game pass which sony Mm -hmm. doesn't really have i mean yeah they have their you know, PlayStation Now thing, but it's not the same. No, it's not the same quality. Um, I I think when we look at, you know, companies like Nintendo, these are entertainment companies. They are not that important. Yeah. We treat them with all this importance, and we're talking about them on this podcast, but I think putting restrictions on a company that's doing something for entertainment purposes – is important just to kind of remind them that they're not that important sometimes. Yeah, and like monopoly laws are just so important because yeah. like it's one of those things that if you do monopoly laws right, people will probably question why they exist because it's never a problem. Right. But as soon as someone does get like a real significant monopoly, it's awful. Like we see that yeah. a lot in the food world where like most of the food you buy at a store is has like only two or three different parent companies. Right. And so they come. They have the lobbying power to make their own labels. Like I found out, um, a great one is you can sell something as whole wheat if ten percent of it is whole wheat. <laughs> so you can go buy a whole wheat bread or a whole wheat cereal or something like that or whole grain, whatever. And as long as ten percent of it is the whole grain, it can be titled whole grain. And it's like that's BS. That's How pretty do you crazy. Get there? Well, you get there because there's only two or three companies that make 90% of the bread and the cereals and stuff like that. And they can all just say, yeah, and we got that pass. We're this all whole wheat now. We all agreeing we're not going to go more than 10%. Yep. And we're good. And it's healthy for you because it's low fat. Yeah. All those <laughs> wonderful things. That's at least starting to strip away some. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's wild 
that once kind of again because sometimes we treat them like people and they're saying it's like oh you and your buddies want to like join your companies together okay that's fine and not a oh hey you companies that exist only to make profit because your corporate entities have found a way that you can join together and make more profit than you were making before like when you throw it in that light of you're saying hey why do i want to acquire this company because separately we're not making as much money but if we come together we'll make more money than we'll we make would more separately. money yeah then you start asking yourself okay well how many times am i going to let this company join with another company so they can make more money until it becomes a conflict of interest that they're joining just to line both of their pockets well and and on top of that i mean we live in a capitalistic society there but there is a limit to how much that is before it starts harming the average person when we already have such a disparity um, in wealth and we already have these companies that are like, you know, well, it's okay for me to steal something, but it's not okay for you to. I'm rich. You're not. You yeah, know, I mean, I would, or stuff I would like say that, you the know. customer impact is immediate. Yeah. The only time I can really say that, like, I don't think mergers and things like that are bad for the consumers is potentially in, like, startups. When like some little tiny company has invented this cool technology, but they're struggling to get it to market, a bigger company can say, hey, I will help you get to market and you put it under my umbrella. Because me as a consumer, I maybe didn't have exposure to that product. That's before. true. I couldn't get it. So it's not hurting me that it is now available, even if it is now more expensive, because I couldn't get it before. But when you immediately say, look, Activision, for the first six months, all of your games come out on, on an Xbox somebody who doesn't own an xbox is going to go buy that xbox because of that that's very true and yes that is a personal choice it is just entertainment but you know if they hadn't merged they would have just paid 60 bucks to buy it on playstation yeah and not 460 bucks to get it on xbox to get it on well or at this point it's almost 700 dollars. oh my gosh are you serious yeah uh, and um unless you're getting the digital console Digital mm -hmm. console is about four hundred dollars, right? Oh wow! Uh, but the, the uh, physical consoles are all like five fifty, five sixty, five seventy. So you add that plus a seventy dollars gain, it's going to be closer to seven hundred dollars at that point. Mm. Look, I'm yeah. just going to say that's a great advertisement for the Steam Deck. Yeah, same price. Get yourself a Steam Deck and get your whole PC library. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the RG Ally is supposed to be about the same. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm. I really enjoy the Steam Deck. It is a console. RG Ally is more of like a Windows handheld mm -hmm. that doesn't really have like console features and relies on the same technology, you know, like the mm -hmm. Hollow ISO or something like that. Um, so it's well, that didn't make any sense. The ROG Ally is a is I've never touched one, but I've just seen, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like one of these other things, like the GPD Win 4 or something like that. It's got Windows installed on it. That's not really optimized for being a handheld. It's just like a Windows PC with controllers built gotcha. on it. It's not a console in and of itself. Okay. The Steam Deck is a console. It's like the Switch is a console. It's yep. portable, and you can plug it in and play on a big screen. So, yeah, absolutely. At that point, go get yourself a Steam Deck instead yeah. of doing something like that you, you might not be able to play like call of duty on the steam deck i'm pretty sure you can't because it's linux they don't let you do that because the anti-cheat software flags it yeah, yeah 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 anyways all right so for our last topic musk elon musk mm -hmm. on 420 burned up 21.6 million dollars or 
billion, 12.6, not 21.6, $12.6 billion in value for all of his companies. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time looking this up. So what, what is this related to? Is it, it just it, public sentiment or did he like? No, he, he actually, he, he personally lost $12.6 billion worth of his value oh, okay. because of Twitter and Tesla losing yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. His stock value went down that much. Yeah, I couldn't um, go there. I was like, is this because of the rocket that blew up? Or? Yeah, it, it was because some of it was because of the rocket, some of it was because mm-hmm. of Twitter, some of it was because of stuff with Tesla. Either way, I just thought it was funny because it's yeah. a 420 yeah. joke, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he blazed smoked it. it all away, blazed it all away. <laughs> yeah, that launch was was interesting. I don't know if you, you keep up with I, that. I, I, I read about it. I didn't see it. I, I am forced to keep up with it because my dad is a huge space nerd. Mm-hmm. Like, where other people were, like, trading rookie cards for baseball players, he was following tech companies and following astronauts. Um, so, yeah, must me made a bet there that didn't pay off. Which, yeah. frankly, you know, he, he didn't really have a choice. Like, to, okay, to give people the background on this, um, there's two interesting things about the way Elon Musk's company for SpaceX is yeah. trying to – go about their launches the first is with the rocket itself where instead of just like four or five big engines there's like 30 small engines right um on paper that looks really good the problem is no one's been able to pull it off and people have tried that's actually why america won the space race right was because russia was doing a whole bunch of the small engines because that was kind of easier to set up and easier to repair if one broke but the problem is they were always breaking because even if you have like a 99.9% chance it'll succeed and only like a 0.1% chance it fails, when you have 30 of them, 0.1 to 30 is power. That's huge. That's a huge amount. Now, let me ask you a question because they have uh, – SpaceX has sent multiple, you know, Falcon ro- Falcon 9, Falcon 7, all mm. those rockets, sent them up to and brought them back and like been able to retrieve them without like having to ditch them in the ocean or something yeah. like that. So this is not those, though, that you're talking From about. From my understanding, yes, this is a new design okay. that's supposed to be even more efficient, um, which if they pull it off, it will be. That's, like, that's on paper, the best way to do it. Right. Um, but the problem just becomes, like, every pod has a chance for failure. The more moving parts you have, the more likely more it's fail. Likely as well. You're familiar with this just for anything, like yeah. networking or programming. The more complex, the more likely it is to break. Um, the second part was how they built their launch pad. Because what you um, have in like really fancy ones, like what NASA has, are basically like sound deflectors. Right. Because when those rockets go off and they're just roaring, it's like thunder. It'll tear stuff apart if it doesn't have those dampeners, or at least that's kind of the theory. Uh, but those take a very, very long time to build because it's like laying layers and layers and layers and layers of concrete. Right. And because SpaceX kind of takes the approach of keep throwing something at a wall until it works – which that's not necessarily a bad thing. NASA sometimes gets criticized for over-engineering. Um, SpaceX is kind of under-engineering, and as soon as they think something might work, they're going to go test it. Right. NASA won't let them use their platforms because yep. there's a higher chance one of their rockets will fail and damage the platform, and they didn't want to wait the two or three years it would take to build a platform the same way NASA does. So they launched off with the um, – we, we know now to be inferior. Yeah. We, we didn't really know until they launched off, but basically their platform just – fell apart yeah you know it was launching chunks of concrete into the ocean next to it yeah. and everything like that so that was cool my dad talked to me about it for like two hours <laughs> last sunday huge into space but, i um, i like to follow it but as much as the promise of space you know promises a lot of things i don't think 
I don't think right now we're going to get the value out of it that we might in a hundred years or fifty years or you know something like that. Probably not in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's here's the problem with space. It's the same problem we have with AI. Mm -hmm. Is that there's a ton of theoretical value, but it's really hard to get there. But once you take that first really good step, you're in the money. Right. Like once we can find a really good way to get a large amount of mass into space. And then also bring the rocket down without having to replace it. That's huge. Because they have launched a ton of stuff into space, but mm -hmm. they're not huge payloads. Um, and that's where they're trying to get, is that they can just send like more stuff in one trip. Right. I, I think the thing that I'm, I'm thinking about like in terms of value is like something that could actually like benefit people on Earth. Mm -hmm. So like, like water, minerals, things like that, that we could bring back to Earth and we could yeah. actually reuse. Uh, I think that's a, that's probably where we're going to get something at that point in time. That's probably not going to, even though we've had people land on like mm -hmm. stuff, they've been able to bring back small samples and stuff like that. And to I me, mean, to your point, you have to have a mass of machinery in space to be able to process that stuff before you can bring it back down. Yeah. Right. So it's, it, it is legitimate that we have to take that step before we can get that value. But I, I think there's still a, a, leap that you have to make after you get the stuff up there to be able to process things you know whether it's on the moon or it's mm -hmm. you know mars or wherever and then be able to get the comet or meteor or whatever it is that's out there that you've got to attach to get the stuff off of and then bring it back to that processing station um so there's you know a value proposition there that i see being much harder to achieve um that may be colonizing something or, you know, doing something like that. So we might get some of those things that give value in other ways, like being able to depopulate a little bit of our more populated areas or something like that. Don't know, but that's probably still not going to happen in my lifetime. So I don't, it's harder for me to like see some sort of like reason to keep working towards that with all the gusto that we're doing where there's other things like, if we could just clean up the trash in the ocean, you know, that yeah. would be so more valuable. There's, there's definitely some, <laughs> the ocean's its own problem that yeah. like, we know so little about it. We're not taking very good care of it. But I'll, I'll counterpoint with this. Today, very few serious companies, even government entities, mm -hmm. are doing things in space because very of true. how prohibitively expensive it is. Yep. So like what SpaceX is trying to do with space is what IBM tried to do for a very long time with artificial intelligence. Yeah. And what I'm saying is as soon as SpaceX really nails it, it's like here is this rocket that you can reuse 10, 100 times, and it can haul half its mass up in one trip and then come back and be safe. You just have to refuel it. Then that's when, just like when IBM made their first couple steps, real serious steps in AI, a hundred other companies are going to jump in and yeah. then it's going to massively accelerate. Just like what we've seen with AI in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I was getting at. You're right to the point that you as an individual now have a product that says made on the moon or like your car is made out of parts that were mined on Mars. Yeah. That's pretty far off. Yeah. But in terms of like, this goes from a, Hey, you know, really the only value SpaceX has is they're able to compete with like Boeing and some stuff like that on government contracts. So like there is actual value in the space market. Right. That's going to be a, just a, the first time somebody nails it real well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I, I think when I'm talking about that, that sort of thing, I'm looking at mm -hmm. it more from like a perspective of how soon are we going to get that? Are we going to yeah. realize that value? 
where I see other things that we could realize those values much sooner if we just put effort into those things. I'm not saying space, SpaceX could, should stop doing what they're doing mm -hmm. or whatever, Blue Origin, yeah. any of those. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. saying more like, well, but we don't just have to hold our breath and wait around. We could actually start working on these other things. Yeah, here, I'm going to merge the two together. Uh, Elon Musk, feel free to take this proposition. Um, once you get your rocket, your high-mass rocket working, you know every government regulation is going to make you do it like 20, 50 times before they're actually going to uh, let you man anything or put anything actually valuable in it. Just take the trash from the ocean. And put it and up put in it space. In take, take it from the yeah. ocean and launch it to the moon. Or launch it not to the moon, uh, to the sun. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to take the rocket up into space and show it can drop off payloads. Just do it with trash. Yeah. And if the rocket does explode, it's still just trash. <laughs> it's, you know? it's not like it's going to pollute things more than we it's already a, it's have. Already, it's already polluting. <laughs> Almost every single space pad is over by the ocean somewhere, so they can launch over the ocean if it falls. It would just go back in the ocean. Yep. It's a Look, it's a positive change. <laughs> All right. Um, so do you have anything else you want to say about that? No, I think no. I'm good. Uh, that was a great one to end on. Uh, burning up. 12.6 billion for 420 and then talking about space and, mm. <laughs> and the feasibility. Got stuff. real high. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so this was season six, episode eight of the beer and broadband podcast uh, scheduled to come out on May 15th, 2023. And thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.